Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and I'm Ellen. This week is Eating Disorders Awareness Week, so we're talking to Dr. Rachel Evans. She's a chartered psychologist who specialises in eating disorder recovery, but also has had her own experience of eating disorders. We're going to be chatting with her about that today. It really started for me, like looking back when I noticed, like I lost. Um, quite a few things that were important to me in my life um, and that I was getting my self-worth from. So like when I'd finished uni, I actually did psychology as my undergraduate degree um, and had learned about eating disorders, but that didn't stop me from getting one. Um, and I like really prided myself on being good academically and I did like a lot of sports and was really good at that. Um, and then I stopped, I stopped doing those things obviously when I left and I started a master's in health psychology and I was learning about like the impact of what we eat on our body and um, like obviously if you eat in certain ways you're more at risk of developing a chronic disease um, but my brain took that in a very black and white way and I was thinking like I want to be involved in health promotion I need to look healthy which to me at the time was having a six-pack which we know actually that doesn't tell anyone how healthy you are um, but I think growing up in England, when I did, um, the kind of health messages that we have or the cultural messages um, around our bodies looking a certain way, this kind of thin ideal, kind of took all that on board. And then I started getting like more strict about what I was going to eat, what I wasn't going to eat, when I was going to eat. Um, and like I said, I think I just had some some kind of gaps in my life that 
then this kind of eating and then I became like sort of obsessive about exercise that sort of filled those gaps Um, and then I got a job abroad as a research assistant um, which I think just really allowed stuff to um, escalate I was quite isolated and then I wasn't eating enough Um, so I was like feeling kind of my emotions were all over the place Um, was really unhappy it just kind of got worse and worse and I just became more scared to eat certain things so fast forward kind of another eight or so months like I came back home Um, my parents were really worried about me because they could see like how anxious I was about food um, all the different rules I had Um, so I did contact my doctor about it I was a bit cagey um, (laughs) as I think maybe people listening to this with an eating disorder could um, relate like you don't really want to go to the doctors like I've got an eating disorder um, because it's your coping mechanism you kind of don't want someone to take it away from you but also you recognize you know it's not good for me (laughs) it's not making me happy Um, I had physical symptoms from it um, not eating enough as well um they directed me to a charity I actually ended up going to a private therapist which would be nice if that was the end of the story and I got better but actually then I started binge eating um like I would just wake up in the night like just and really feel really out of control just eating everything that I wouldn't eat in the day um so the therapist kind of helped me through that a bit then I started a PhD in psychology thought things were getting better I could eat more variety I was kind of less obsessive I could could go out for a meal for example um and then on my second year um is when um I got bulimia quite quite badly it sort of got worse and worse that I was binge eating and then making myself sick afterwards because I thought that it would compensate which to put a very big note it's actually very dangerous um to be making yourself sick and you don't get rid of all the calories like you think you are um and that really just really really escalated for a couple of months until I was like right now I need to change like the motivation came from me it was ruining my holidays it was ruining like Christmases um and then that's when yeah things changed so sorry that went on for a while but it was a lot of a lot of twists and turns which I think sometimes eating disorders people almost get put into a category but actually a lot of people experience it as a a range of different signs and symptoms that can change over time. I definitely don't apologize I think we're so used to as well on mentally yours hearing that these stories aren't linear they're not just like I was sick then I got better and then everything was fine so how after you know you're kind of in this binge eating period then bulimia what was the stage when okay you went things need to change what was the next step from that what did recovery look like for you yeah I think I was really motivated um and I did go to an eating disorder charity um that I knew about in the area um and they said I'm sorry we can't help you you're too severe go to the NHS um and I was a bit worried about that at the time and almost like having it on my record uh wanting to be a psychologist and thinking oh no people are going to know I've had an eating disorder um which I'm really glad I got over because I think it is actually an asset um in helping people now but luckily so this was um 2016 um they didn't have a waiting list that was too long in a couple of months um 
I was able to get some CBT. I actually only had three sessions um, because I wasn't the most engaged client. <laughs> like I really wanted help, um, but also I kind of wanted help on my terms. Um, but actually what they did is they just gave me this really big insight into um, when the eating disorder started, it was very much about how do I look using the behaviors um, of like over-exercising or eating in a very strict way to try and control my weight. But actually in, over the years, it changed to almost be like um, a stress release kind of when I was doing the binging and then making myself sick or avoidance I was really stressed about my PhD and like doing well enough like I was a massive perfectionist to so try and be less perfectionistic now um but they just gave me this insight that's like a light bulb and then actually um I'd done a master's in health psychology and I was doing my PhD um about behavior change so I kind of knew about motivation um about changing habits and stuff like that and I think almost once I got this key, then I could apply what I knew to myself. But before that, I was like really stuck. Like I I'd tried to stop myself, but I literally thought that I was broken or like I was just really hopeless and helpless um, that I, I couldn't do anything. So I think once I got that aha and I just had this, I just knew I wanted to help other people recover. Like I hadn't recovered myself then, but I knew I wanted to help other people. So it's almost like, I had to make this choice. I am not going backwards. I am going to recover and sort of remain recovered. It sounds like it's a very sort of personal journey for everybody in terms of finding out what works for them. And I really appreciate you sort of sharing all, all the stuff you have. And also, um, it's great that you mentioned in there about sort of the response you have from the GP. It sounds fairly positive. Um, I just wanted to touch on this briefly because the theme of this week's Eating Disorders Awareness Week um, is about potentially introducing more training on eating disorders um, in UK uh, medical schools, um, particularly because some GPs only get two hours of training on eating disorders. Um, what sort of experiences have you had in terms of um, mental health professionals and GPs in general in terms of your eating disorder? From what you said, it sounds fairly positive, but I just wondered what you'd, what you'd experienced and what your clients had experienced. Yeah, so my first experience when I was struggling with sort of restrictive eating and orthorexia, um, I went to the GP about like the physical symptoms. So I was saying like, what, my hair's falling out, like I don't have any periods, I'm cold all the time. Um, so they were really focused on like doing kind of physical tests to have a look like, oh, what's going on with your hormones or, you know, kind of stuff like that. I wasn't very open with them about how I was eating. And actually, if they'd asked me, it probably sounded on paper. Oh, she's eating loads of fruit and vegetables. She's doing exercise. Isn't that really healthy? Um, and I was kind of in denial that I had a problem at the time. So I sort of made their job difficult without meaning to because um, of the headspace that I was in. And then I saw a couple of um, GPs about the physical things, like I didn't have one consistent one. Um, and then I did see a lady who obviously asked me some some different questions um, and then directed me to an eating disorder charity at that point, um, which I did engage with a little bit, but I wasn't really ready to recover at that point. Um, and then when it turned into bulimia, I was quite direct when I went to the doctors and saying, look, this is what's going on. I was really honest um, about how many times um, I was engaging in the behaviors and what it was like for me and the impact. Um, so I think they could see very clearly this is what's going on for her. So 
I definitely think that doctors should have more um, training because we also know that out of people who are diagnosed with eating disorders, about 50% or more of them fit into this category called OSFED, which is other specified feeding or eating disorder, which means that the kind of symptoms and the behaviors and the thoughts and the things that are going on for people, they don't neatly fit into the other categories. So like anorexia, bulimia, Um, So it might be harder for doctors to kind of spot those sort of behaviours, especially if people aren't aware of them themselves when they're kind of presenting um, at at the GP surgery. And then I guess my client's experience um, can be very variable. I think it really depends on where you are in the country, um, what GP you see, like the kind of advice that I usually give about this is if you think there's something going on for you, then when you're booking the appointment, um, tell the receptionist, I think I might have an eating disorder or I might have some eating difficulties or exercise addiction, whatever it is, that they might be able to pair you with a different GP to your usual GP who might know more about this area. Yeah, and that's great advice. Although I guess what you said sort of in that initial one about sort of when you first went to see them, potentially if they had, they had had more training around eating disorders, they might have put two and to get two together with the symptoms potentially. But, but you never know. I think it's interesting because in your case, it's a bit unusual because you were studying psychology. So you had this kind of expert view. And, you know, you said you went to the doctor really clear on like, this is what's going on. This is how many, how it's affecting my life. But I imagine for most people, it's not like that. And there might be real struggles, even recognising that there's a problem and communicating that to a doctor what should we be doing to reach those people and help them realize that they deserve help and then help them yeah I think that's a really good point that you made I think everyone deserves help I think with eating disorders um the kind of things that I hear are people think like oh well I'm not sick enough like we have this stereotype of like a really thin white teenage girl that's someone with an eating disorder but actually anyone any like body size, any gender, ethnicity, basically any, (laughs) any of those kind of demographic variables um, can develop an eating disorder. So just to know um, that if you're experiencing it, like it's okay, it's probably a response to trauma or things that have gone on in your life, like you deserve to get help. You don't have to wait until things have got really bad. Um, And you wouldn't want to, because obviously it's having a big impact on your life by then. So Um, I think the way if I get a client, for example, that maybe their parents um, or a loved one has told them to come to me and they're like, oh, I don't really think anything's going on for me, but I'm kind of just here to like please my parents or something like we all have a look like how are your behaviors affecting your life? Because obviously there's a spectrum from like um, dieting type behaviors to disordered eating to like a clinical eating disorder. Um, But we might look, well, how is it affecting your um, relationships, for example? Um, Maybe if someone's on a diet, they've got a certain sort of um, food rules that they want to follow, but they might be kind of flexible and they could still eat out or they could go to a barbecue and have a nice time. Um, Whereas then someone else with other symptoms of like disordered eating, going to an eating disorder, um, might have such strict food rules and just be worrying like weeks in advance knowing that they're going to this barbecue. I know when I was struggling as well, I was always irritable because I was really hangry or I was like feeling guilty about about what I'd eaten and thinking about that. Like it took up so much, not a technical term, but I call it brain room. Like all my brain room was just taken up 
by food and exercise in my body and I really didn't have time um but other people so I think once you start looking what are the areas of my life how is it affecting your um career maybe how is it affecting like what other areas of life are there finances especially like when I was um binge eating I realized how much money I was spending on food how's it affecting you physically like your energy your concentration um you know, it might not be that you have an eating disorder, but it might be that you have these behaviors that are having a really negative impact on your life. And so actually getting some help to change those um, behaviors, whether it is through um, like your doctor in the NHS or there's like local charities and kind of other um, avenues to gain mental health support, like you might find it's really beneficial for your kind of overall well-being and like quality of life. That leads me into very neatly into my next question, which is how did your eating disorder impact your life, your relationships, your career, all of those kind of areas? Yeah, um, good question. Um, quite a lot. So when it started, I could only really see the positives of it. I was thinking, yes, I'm getting really fit. I was thinking people are going to think really well of me um, if they see how like good I'm eating. Um, but actually, so um, how long? <laughs> it's hard to, for me to remember like the time span sometimes on, on things. Um, but probably about eight months, I would say after I got quite strict about what I was eating, I moved abroad um, for a job in Singapore, which everyone is like, oh, did you have the most amazing time? But I actually really didn't um, because a lot of the ways to meet new people involve food. Um, and that was something that I was really scared of. Um, I was like exercising every day and I'd prioritize that over kind of social things or doing kind of other um, activities. Like I just couldn't really concentrate at work wasn't eating enough so my mood was all over the place and like literally I would cry and work meetings if it wasn't going very well or like the project wasn't going as we wanted to which is not that professional um to do that but I almost just couldn't help it and I just got really really homesick and just didn't have a good time um and then when I came home I was actually um very lucky in that um I could move back in with my parents so I didn't have to kind of pay rent anywhere and then they have their own company and their receptionist had left so they said do you want to be our receptionist for a while um so I did but it was almost like I was living a groundhog day of like just wake up make myself exercise so that I didn't feel anxious all day if I hadn't done it go to work um <laughs> probably make some mistakes at work because I don't think my brain was quite functioning properly like have my parents be worried about me and they were trying to help me, but at the time I was in such denial um, about how I was eating. Like I thought it was super healthy and they were telling me it's not, you need more balance, which like honestly was like nails on a chalkboard <laughs> when they said that. So we would have like some arguments or difficult conversations, or there was just something every day. Um, and then I would go home and like eat some of the food that my mum had made and so I was just really unhappy then which I think um I can't remember if I said earlier but I did see a therapist for a little bit um at that point and it was mainly just to moan about my dad <laughs> who wanted me to eat differently um but obviously it did help um in some ways 
how else did it affect me? Oh, I, so I was in a relationship as well. Um, the time when I was living abroad and when I came back, um, but we would always end up arguing, like we couldn't go out for a nice meal. Um, I was really just controlling about things. Um, and we did split up, um, but then we actually got back together because we'd booked a holiday and we didn't want to lose the money. Um, and now he's my husband and we are having a baby very soon <laughs> when it decides to, to pop out. Um, so that did turn out well, but it was very difficult for like a good year. We were always arguing. Um, career, I suppose it just, um, like drew out the process, if that makes sense. Like maybe after I'd done the research assistant post, I would have gone straight to do something else, um, to do with psychology rather than kind of almost taking some time out, um, to work for my parents and kind of get, get into a bit better place, eating more variety of foods and things. Um, definitely would have helped me finish my PhD quicker. <laughs> if I didn't have the eating disorder. Um, but I think it's one of those things, everything just kind of worked out how it was meant to in the end. Like, I think I almost needed to go through that so I can empathize with clients and can understand, um, some of what's going on for them. I think the empathy point is so important, but I was wondering, how do you make sure that when you're interacting with clients and the way that you work, that that doesn't, trigger you and bring up those old issues too much yeah I think for me (laughs) this isn't a very psychological explanation but it's just what it feels like I have just set my mind so much that I am not doing those old behaviors and I know yeah I could go and do them and maybe I would lose some weight and the other thing is that would happen is all those negative consequences would come back and I'm just not willing to have that so I think when I did start working with clients initially sometimes they would say something and then maybe I would eat something and I would feel a little bit guilty but like because I've learned the skills to help my clients I could use them on myself to kind of nip it in the bud before it got anything so now it's almost as well like when I talk to clients um I don't know how to explain it but it's like you've got a different mindset you're kind of there to help them so my I wouldn't say my brain's on defense from things, but I just, the only other way I can describe it, it's like, do you know if I watch a sad film, I am just cry. Or if I hear a song that is a bit emotional, I will just cry. Whereas if a client tells me something that's very sad, I will recognize it's very sad, but it doesn't make me cry because I'm in like work mode. Yeah. You've got your, you've got your like professional hat on and that's the headspace. Yeah. And I think I just honestly say the same thing so many times with clients or um, talk about body image or food in a certain way that that is truly what I believe now about eating a variety and having flexibility um, that I can really practice what I preach on those things and I'm almost because I'm teaching the clients those things I keep going repeating it for myself so I don't feel triggered anymore I would say in recovery There have been a couple of times that I've thought about the behavior, but kind of what I teach clients. So I got myself really stressed out the other year, long story (laughs) about why it doesn't matter, but I was just putting so much pressure on myself and just pushing all my buttons. And then the thought came into my mind, you could make yourself sick when I haven't done that for years. But it's almost like I knew before that would be an emotional thought and I would want to go and act on it. Whereas now it's just a thought and I'm like, oh, why did you come up? 
and I can explore it and it seems more objective and I'm like okay well make sure you don't do x y and z in the future to put yourself in that same situation that you did that time so I can like learn from it which is a big thing that I talk to clients about as well like I don't think it means that I'm not recovered if I would have that thought once a year say um it just means I have to kind of have a look at okay what am I doing in my life to stay recovered I think so much of what has helped you is that kind of like analytical learning approach but obviously that won't work for everyone so what's kind of the treatment generally for eating disorders at the moment is it kind of talking therapy is it CBT is it something completely different Generally, what you'll be offered on the NHS is CBT. Um, I take a bit of a different approach with my clients because like you've identified, like everyone is different. So I actually use other techniques like hypnotherapy, emotional freedom technique, which is I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's kind of hard to explain. It's better to do a visual, but it's um, tapping on different points, like on your face and hands um, to help your brain kind of reprocess memories and kind of emotional um, events so you could do it for example if you're feeling guilty about food you could do some tapping um so actually there's the most evidence for cbt because i think like most um research topics once they start getting some positive results they kind of direct more funding that way but if someone wanted to go down like more um a private route there's actually lots of different kinds of therapy available um Even stuff like yoga, I think, can be really beneficial. I don't think it's the only thing um, because I think like learning about how food impacts your body and your mood and stuff can be really important as well. But there are lots of different things. So if one thing you're not kind of gelling with and you're not enjoying, actually, there could be something else that's going to work better for you. And how can friends and family support somebody um, who has an eating disorder, either someone who's talked to them about the fact that they have one or who they suspect might have one? Good question. Like my first uh, response to this is always like compassion um, and trying to be patient because it's not like someone recognizes that they have an eating disorder and they want to change and overnight all magic has happened and everything is better. Like it is um, a process of recovery. So I think just um, like I say, being compassionate to that person, understanding that they might be doing some things or they might be getting snappy at you, for example, um, but they don't mean to sometimes it's almost the eating eating disorder talking um I also often suggest that um friends and family like have a look at the beat website which is like beatingeatingdisorders.co.uk because there's lots of information on there that they can learn more about um eating disorders and recovery I think actually beat also do support groups for carers or like loved ones um because sometimes I think people take on a lot when they're living with someone who's got an eating disorder and sometimes it's nice for that person just to be able to talk about what they're experiencing um, as well with people who understand it. Um, I think they're the main things, compassion, learning more, um, getting support for yourself so you're in a good position to be able to help someone. I think my final question is if someone's listening to this and they suspect that they might be struggling with disorders eating or they know that they are, what would you want like to say to them? What do you want them to know? Um, I want you to know that recovery is possible. And I want you to know that it's okay if you're scared um, about recovering. Like we have this um, term, it's called ambivalence. Um, and that means like you probably want to change, but you also don't want to change. Um, because like I was explaining earlier, like the behaviors or the thoughts that you have from the eating disorder or disordered eating, they're helping you 
in some way. So it can feel scary to give those up, but actually you can find new ways that are going to help you so much more. Um, and almost like make you, this is so cheesy, but like thrive and flourish and be able to like find a sense of purpose, um, and sort of live a happier life. So it's okay to be in that, um, sort of double mindset, not sure. Actually the first things that maybe you could do is go on the beat website, um, and have a look and learn a little bit more, um, about eating disorders and kind of work up to maybe talking to a friend or family member or talking to the GP. Um, but I think just know that like I say recovery is possible and your life is going to be so much better without it, despite what the eating disorder is probably telling you right now. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. Uh, Helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.